The following message is brought to you by Morgan Hill Bible Church. For all things MHBC, connect with us on social media and check us out online at mhbible.org. Good morning. So good to be here to worship with you. If you have a Bible with you today, I encourage you to open it up to the book of Genesis. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12 this morning. If you're new, that's the very first book of the Bible. So you have to turn far in your app and your Bible and you'll find Genesis chapter 12 as we are in week two of our study, which will take us for the next couple months as we're looking through the life of Abraham in the book of Genesis. Do any of you, now some of you, this may be going back into ancient history, but think back, if you would, to your childhood. Do you remember the first time you got in big trouble at school? That first time? Now, for some of you, you're like, I never got in trouble at school. You're like my older brother, right? I hate you. Because I was always like, it's his fault. And my parents were like, he didn't do it. We know you did. He doesn't make mistakes like that. I'm like, okay. Some of you are like, wow, is a pastor, pastors got in trouble when they were kids? To that I say, you haven't spent much time with pastors probably, have you, right? Like I always warn parents, if your kid gets in a lot of trouble, well, be careful because you might have a pastor on your hands one day. So be careful how you treat them because they'll use everything you did as a sermon illustration in the future. I remember for me, first grade, spelling test. My memory is so weird. I still remember the word was because, and I couldn't remember if it ended with an E or not. Right? And I, I really wanted to do good on my test. And so I'm sitting there and I'm in the back row. And my teacher, she's in the front, front of the classroom, giving the spelling test. And I'm like, huh. And it was one of those desks where you have the desk and then the books just slide in right underneath. And I'm in the back. And so I lean back and I take out my blue spelling book. And I look around and just kind of open it while I'm in there. And I glance down. Oh, yes, there is an E. I thought so. And I go to shut it. And right as I'm about to put it back away, I hear over my shoulder, Michael. I was like, hmm, the teacher's aide forgot about her. And she's looking right over my shoulder when I have the book open to the exact spelling test that we were just taking. See, sometimes we are in circumstances. We encounter things. And what comes into our mind is, hey, if I cut the corners, I take matters into my own hands. Sometimes in our lives, we're faced with situations where we can rationalize and we can think to ourselves, hey, sinning here actually makes sense. It will get me ahead. It will put this situation to my advantage. And this morning, we're going to look at a situation where Abram thought and acted the same way. And we're going to look this morning at three reasons in our lives, why sin can be so alluring, why sin is so alluring into our lives. See, one of the most comforting things about the people in scripture, for me at least, is we see all of their, their falls and flaws. That was wrong. Their faults and flaws. There we go. That's better. I don't know what I just said. Strike that from the record. I'm sorry. I don't know what I said. We see all the bad things about them. We see all of their failures And we see this with Abram here in this story, right? The the Bible is not a story of like, hey, be like this character. The Bible is ultimately a story about God and God's nature and God character revealed through people just like you and I. And Abram, if you were missed it last week, Abram is called into this life where God calls out and says, Abram, go where to a land that I will show you. And Abram goes. 
He does it, an act of radical obedience. And God responds and says, I'm going to bless you. I will give you land. I will give you offspring, a nation. I will give you blessing in your life. And Abraham has this, last week, this amazing example of obedience. And then in the next verse, he does something so stupid. But that's like our life sometimes, isn't it? We walk in obedience. We walk in faith. And all it takes is one day and we make some horrible decisions, horrible decisions. And so let's jump in. Chapter 12, verse 10 says this. Now there was a famine in the land. So Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. So we're told immediately that there is a, a famine in the land, and the land there is emphasized twice, right? At the beginning and then at the end of verse 10. Because if you remember, this was not just any land. Abram is now in the land that God had called him to. Right? So God promised him, go to this land. Abram goes, an act of obedience, and suddenly famine strikes. And so Abram decides then from there to go to Egypt, where the famine has not hit. Now, we're not explicitly told here that God says, no, don't go to Egypt. God doesn't necessarily tell him to stay. But there's kind of these hints as someone who had got this book originally would be like, he probably shouldn't be doing this. There's hints, this is not going to turn out very well. If you know anything about biblical history, you know the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, are written by Moses to the children of Israel. Moses, who just led the children of Israel out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And so if you just came, your family for hundreds of years, slaves in Egypt, and you read about your family history, and you say, Abram decided to go to Egypt, you'd be like, oh, no, mm, go somewhere else, please. Not Egypt, right? It's like when Packer fans heard they had to play the 49ers in the playoffs, they were like, oh no, that's gonna turn out bad because it always goes bad, right? Like, like oh, don't, don't go to Egypt. Nothing good happens down in Egypt. But they decide to go to Egypt. We're given these insights into Sarah. Now, the Bible doesn't give comments about people's appearances very often. And when it does, it serves a very specific purpose in the narrative and in the story. And we find out here, that Sarai is indeed a beautiful woman. And so in response to this, Abram, recognizing his wife and recognizing what the response may be when they get into Egypt, plans this lie. Plans this lie that they are going to go into. See, the first reason that sin can seem so alluring is this in our lives, is we think sin can fix the problem. We think sometimes in our lives that sin can fix the problem. Right, Abram's going into this scary situation. He's facing, he's anticipating problems coming ahead. And he's saying, he's getting ahead. Oh, I know what will fix it. Because we have a problem. This is my solution. Is it exactly right? No, but will it fix the problem? Yes, yes, it will. See, Abraham's response, and we see this here as we look at it, his response is clearly selfish and short-sighted. Notice how selfish Abram is in his instructions to his wife. Look at this. Then in the end of verse 12, they will kill me, but they will let you live. Verse 13, so say you're my sister, that it may go well with me 
because of you that my life may be spared for your sake. This isn't like, hey, honey, what do you think we should do together? This is, I'm scared, and this is how I'm going to save myself. See, it seems that his actions here in looking at what may be coming ahead are so clearly motivated by fear rather than by faith. In chapter 12, at the beginning, radical response of faith of Abraham to God's call. Radical stepping out in faith and immediately after that, fear and fear leads to sin. And see, in our lives, we have a choice. Are we going to respond to the situations that we encounter each and every day with faith or in fear? Are we going to respond in faith or in fear? Because difficult situations, problems, circumstances will come into our lives. And every day we have choices to make. Will I trust God and act in faith with this? Or will I live into fear and allow that to motivate my response? See, our need as followers of Jesus, our need for the gospel is not just once at salvation, but it's needed every day. Because every single day you have situations, things will come into your life that will dictate, do I respond in faith or fear? And when we respond in faith, it typically leads to obedience. And so often when we respond to situations in fear, it leads to sin. That the natural response when we are, are fearful is to lead into sin. So Abraham's fearful. It turns him selfish. And so he has this solution. And his solution, though, is very short-sighted as well. Right? It's a very short-sighted view that Abram has here. Now, because he knew that God had promised him offspring, right? that great children and great nation would come from you. And he knew that Sarai was the one whom this would happen, despite the fact that he was 75 and she was 65 years old. But get this, he's willing to risk her own well-being to protect himself. He literally is willing to move away from the promises of God to try and save his own skin. Because if anything happens to his wife, that's who the promise of God had come through. See, when we focus on the short-term problem, us, sin often looks appealing. When we focus not on what do I want my life to look like in a year or who do I want to be in five years or 10 years, when we only look at the problems of today, sin often looks like an appealing solution to the problems that we face. And we think actually sinning will fix the problem that I have. We live in a world that is filled with instant gratification, right? If If you can satisfy my desires now, I will take it. The classic example of this is the marshmallow test done many years ago at Stanford University. If you've ever watched it, watch it, and there's the, give these kids a marshmallow, and they say, I'll come back in 15 minutes, and if it's still there, I'll give you another one as well. And the kids just agonize over this marshmallow. My favorite is when the kid like literally picks it up and he like smells it. He's like, maybe this will satisfy my cravings, right? Because they're so tempted. They want what they want right now, even though if they waited just a little bit longer, something better would come in the future. And so often we are short-sighted in our responses because we're focused just on today. And we think sinning today will fix the problems of it. I mean, think about it. In your marriage, what's easier when you're in conflict with your spouse? What's the easiest thing to do? It's to walk away, to ignore. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm going to walk away. Does that solve short-term the problem? Maybe, 
But what if that is your pattern of behavior over and over again? What's the harder thing to do? It's to sit there and to admit that you were wrong and to listen to the other person. See, to, to remove yourself may be fixing the problem shorter, but it doesn't work in the long run. Or in your parenting, when your kids just won't be quiet and they keep asking why and they keep pushing your buttons, what's the easiest thing to do? Is to be like, hey, listen, shut up. I'm the parent. You do it because I said so. But if that's how we always fix the problem, by being mean to our kids and by just impressing them and pushing on them, where does that get us in the long term? See, so often we want to solve things right in front of us that it's easy to think of the short term and not long term. Our immediate impulses that we have are so often sinful impulses in our lives. And Abram's impulse to lie, to fix the problem, thinking that he can manage it himself is an example of that. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. And so Abram is right about one thing, that his wife is beautiful. And so they go in and, and, and Sarah has noticed and these princes go to Pharaoh and they say, look how beautiful she is. And Pharaoh says, great, bring her into my house. Now to be taken into the house doesn't mean, just mean that she's taken care of and given a dwelling. It means that now she will be separated for, for a season to then in the future become Pharaoh's wife. In typical time, they would be aside for a period of months to make sure that she's not already pregnant and ready for Pharaoh whenever Pharaoh is ready for her, all right? And so she's taken aside. Abram's lie seems to work, right? He's safe. And notice what happens to Abram in response to his clear dishonesty, his clear lies. What happens to him? He gets wealthy, right? We, we would expect the total opposite. Abram is clearly in the wrong. He's clearly lying. And what happens? When it says there that he gets all those things, that means that Pharaoh gives them to him. He acquires, this is like every good perk you could have in ancient civilization. This is it. This is cars and money and everything else that we would say in our world. It's sheep and oxen and servants and donkeys and camels. See, the second reason, the second reason that sin can seem so alluring is that we underestimate the consequences of sin. We underestimate in our lives the consequences of our sinful actions and our sinful behaviors. So often, I know I'm guilty of this, and I think all of us fall into these traps, that we can often look at our lives and we take two extremes when it comes to circumstances that happen to us. One extreme is that we mistake any hardship in our life with God's disapproval. That if an obstacle or a challenge comes, we think that God is disapproving of me in some way. And notice that this is clearly not always the case, right? Because Abram follows God in obedience. He goes to the land that God has called him to. And what happens? Famine. It doesn't say Abram disobeyed and so God sent him a famine. No, he's there in obedience to God and famine comes. And so we need to be careful in our lives that just because you're in a difficult situation, just because you're in a season of suffering and hardship, it doesn't necessarily mean that God is disapproving of you. It doesn't mean that you've committed some sin for which he is punishing. Sometimes it just happens because we live in a sinful and a fallen and a broken world. 
And that God actually brings circumstances, not because he's disapproving of us, but because he's growing us and testing us and molding us to become more like him. So we, we can't mistake every hardship with God's disapproval. But the opposite is also true. We can't mistake prosperity with God's approval. We can't mistake prosperity with God's blessing and approval in our lives as well. See, Abram, we would expect if the world goes how we would wire it, right? That Abram lies and so he is punished for his lies. Abram lies and is blessed for it. It's, it's the opposite of what we would think. And it seems to be, as we look at it, that Abram is getting away with this, that it actually is working in his favor. As I was thinking of this idea of, of how we can often mistake prosperity with God's approval, that, that God actually is approving of these things, I was reminded this last week of the, the Bernie Madoff Ponzi scheme. Bernie Madoff, you may know him, he, he passed away last year. But he took people's money, and rather he was saying he was investing it, but he actually was just holding on to it, and as more people invest, would give out other money. And what was amazing is that he frauded thousands of investors, and get this, over approximately $65 billion worth of money. The scale in which he did this was astronomical. But what's even more amazing, for me at least, is they know that he did this for at least 17 years, possibly even decades longer than that. Now, I obviously don't know him. He's dead. But I would imagine that at some point, and because he's, if you put yourself in it, at some point, he probably was like, this is okay. Because if it was going to go bad, it would have gone bad already. After a decade of doing it, he probably was like, I'm going to get away with this and be one of the wealthiest people in the world. This is actually okay. See, sometimes we think that when we sin, like the consequences will be immediate. And that if they aren't, that it's actually okay what we're doing. Sometimes we view sin like a shot collar, right? Like we walk this way and we sin and God like zaps us. Okay, and I'm back over here. We go this way. Oh, no, back over here, right? We think that God just like is going to shock us. But sometimes if there's not that shock, we can start to tell ourselves, no, this is, this is okay. I'm not reaping these consequences immediately. So it must mean that God is approving of what I'm doing. Perhaps this is helpful. I like to think of it this way. I think oftentimes walking in holiness, walking in a life pleasing to God is a lot like eating healthy. All right, it's a lot like eating healthy, right? So all of us today will go home, or I imagine all of us, I know for myself, I'll go home today and I will eat lunch. It's one of the first activities that I will do after church today. And there's, let's say I narrow it down to two options, all right? Option one, I could have a salad, nutritious, healthy, good for me. That's one option. Option two, I could go home and have a carton of ice cream for lunch. I'm an adult. There's no one to stop me. I could do it if I wanted. And if I got on the scale tomorrow, if I ate a salad or if I ate a carton of ice cream, if I got on the scale, would I notice a big difference? No, not after one day. And so if I did that and I went home and ate a carton of ice cream today and stepped on the scale and I weighed the exact same, what could I tell myself? I can do this every day and it makes no difference, right? There was not an immediate consequence. But if you start to extrapolate that, what happens if I do that for a month, for a year, for five years? Are there consequences to doing that? Well, obviously the answer is yes. Some of us have been living in sin and we've been minimizing it because we sinned and our life didn't blow up. We're like, no. 
everything's still fine. My wife still loves me. My kids are here. I didn't get fired. Everything's still here. And so we think, well, it's not that big of a deal. God's not really disapproving of this because I haven't seen any consequences. And we've been living this way because our lives haven't blown up yet. But the reality is this. When we think of the consequences for sin, we can't think of just what happens the moment or the day I sin. We need to start thinking what happens if this pattern of my life continues for months, for years down the road. It goes back to thinking short-term versus long-term when it comes to the consequences of sin in our life. And Abram, if he only realized, if he only realized some of the consequences of his sin because of what he was doing here. See, one of the long-term consequences that comes from this is we see here in verse 16 that amongst many other gifts, he's given servants, male servants and female servants. One of those female servants that he will take back with him when he leaves, as we find out in a few chapters, is a girl named Hagar, who will give birth to a son named Ishmael. And literally, you can trace one of the most historic and longest conflicts amongst people groups in the history of our world to one man's disobedience in going to Egypt. He had no idea the consequences from his behavior because in the moments, it actually seemed that it was going better for him. But if he had any clue, if he saw what would happen 100 years, 200 years down the road, of course he would have acted differently. The reality is in our lives, there are always consequences to our sin. And just because we don't see it today, it doesn't mean it won't impact us in the future. So we need to take sin in our lives seriously. If we mess up and we make mistakes and our lives don't blow up overnight, we can't fall to the lie of, well, this actually is okay. This actually is a good thing. I can live this way long-term and nothing bad will happen. We must take sin seriously. Verse 17. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I may take her for my wife? Now then here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. So in verse 17, we see that plagues come upon Pharaoh. Now, this is a little bit of foreshadowing, right? This is kind of foreshadowing. Hey, one day plagues are gonna come again to Pharaoh in Egypt to do something to release God's people. So the Bible is filled with imagery. It's a foreshadowing of what will come in the book of Exodus. But, but it's amazing here that Pharaoh somehow finds this out. We don't know how, we don't know who told, we don't know if it was Sarai, we don't know if it was someone else who was like, hey, I saw Abram and Sarai, they weren't doing things that siblings do to each other, Pharaoh, I'm just saying, right? Like, we don't know who found out, but somehow Pharaoh found out. And Pharaoh calls Abram and confronts Abram for his sin. Now, don't miss the irony in this, that in the same chapter, the one whom God calls out, the one who God by his grace redeems, and says, I'm going to use you to bless all of the families of the world. It's a prophecy ultimately that the Messiah, the savior of the world will come through you, Abram. I'm going to bless you amazingly. In the very same chapter, you have a pagan king confronting the same man for his sin. A pagan king saying, how dare you do this? How dare you sin this way? 
See, the third reason that sin in our lives seems so alluring is we don't recognize the collateral damage of our sin. We so often don't recognize the collateral damage of the sin in our lives. See, our sin always affects other people. Your sin always has an impact on others. Now, who does Abram's sin impact? Whose sin did Abram have an effect on? Well, I think clearly it had an effect on his wife, right? Like I'm married, I can't imagine how this wouldn't have an impact on how your your wife would treat you. She'd be like, so what else are you gonna say about me, right? Thanks for standing up, honey, you're really good. Like I can only imagine, right, what happened in their relationship. We see clearly there's an impact on Pharaoh, right? And his family had undeserved punishment. Get this, Abram sins, Abram is blessed. The people by him have plagues, right? The people around him are being punished because of his sin. They feel the impacts even when he doesn't. And ultimately for Abram, his sin is felt even in the future generations that come after him, right? His sin impacted the people who would live and follow after him. Now, Abram's promised offspring and lots of the story of Abram's is to see how that happens. Spoiler alert, you can read ahead. He does have a kid, all right? And we're gonna look at at how his kid is impacted by Abram's sin. His name is Isaac. And in Genesis 26, Abram is gone. He's dead. Isaac's now the leader of the family. He moves to a new place. Genesis 26, verses six and seven say this. So Isaac settled in Gerar. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he feared to say, my wife thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebecca, because she was attractive in appearance. Now, who does that remind you of? The apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. The Isaac is now doing the exact same thing that his dad decades before did as well. See, sin always has collateral damage. Sin is not a sniper rifle coming to take us out. Sin is a grenade that we toss into our lives. And it doesn't just hurt us, but it also hurts the people who are closest to us as well. I remember in my life, I don't know why when it comes to thinking about sin, but I have an an abundance of stories from my childhood to share when it thinks about sinful behavior. I have so many examples. And I was thinking this week in particular of one time, back to my childhood, fourth grade. Now, if you're in fourth grade as a fourth grade boy, what was my favorite class in fourth grade? Recess, PE, right? I wanted to get outside and play, right? Like like the worst thing that could happen. And so our teachers know this, right? Because teachers are very smart people. And so to help manage the classroom, what was the one of the main punishments for our class if we did something that would be a corporate punishment for the whole class? She would take a minute off of our recess time. As a fourth grade boy, that is a horrible punishment. And something had happened, I don't remember, someone in the class had done something, and my teacher had put down several minutes, I believe we had 15 minutes for recess, she put down several different minutes of cutting off of recess, and it came to a point where I was like, this is too much. This is an injustice, this is not right, this is not proper behavior, this has crossed the line. And so I made sure to communicate that to my teacher. I was very articulate, I was well-defined, I was very passionate in my argument about her injustice at taking away some of our recess time. In fact, by the time I was finished with my argument, our class had zero minutes left of recess. (laughs) I argued our way out of every single minute of recess and I was the one doing it. And all of my friends were probably sitting next to me and they're like, shut up. 
but I couldn't. I couldn't help it. And who had to bear the punishment? Everyone did, because I wouldn't shut my mouth. See, we all sin, and our sin impacts the people around us. Even your private sins, the sins that no one knows about, that just you know of, have an effect on others. Things that you tell yourself, well, if no one else knows about this, they can't be hurt by it. It, it doesn't, it, it's just my thing. No, it's, it's not. Commenting on this passage, Pastor Chuck Swindoll writes this. He says, there's no such thing as a victimless sin, including the sins you keep private. You may sin in secret, but you never sin alone. You may sin in secret, but you never sin alone. Meaning your sin always impacts the people around you, whether they know of your sin or whether it's just a secret for you. The reality is when we think of the collateral damage of our sin, our sin doesn't impact the people we don't care about, who are far from us, who we don't know and don't see. Who does our sin have the greatest damage upon in our lives? It's the people that we love the most. It's our spouse. It's our kids. It's our parents. It's our best friends. It's our coworkers. They're the ones who bear the collateral damage from our sinful actions and behaviors. See, as followers of Jesus, our primary motivation to live a life pleasing to God, to to move away from sin and walk how God wants, our primary motivation is for his honor and for his glory, because that's what he's called us to. But don't miss this reality as well, that for those of us who are dancing in sin, because it hasn't blown up our life and we're dabbling in it and we're not sure what it's going to do. Don't miss the fact of the damage that it could do to the people you love the most. The damage that it could do to your marriage. How living in sin could impact your kids, the people that you love the most. And so our primary motivation of walking away from sin is yes, for the honor and glory of Jesus, but do it for your marriage. Do it for your kids. Do it for your family. Do it for your friends as well. That we must take sin seriously and see this impact that sin has around us. I want us to notice there in verse 17, three short words that we quickly read over, but have such a profound impact, I think, on this passage. Verse 17 starts this, but the Lord, but the Lord. This is a surprising story, right? When you contrast it with what came before, amazing obedience followed by what seems to be amazing stupidity walking into sin. But notice the same God who makes these astounding promises to Abraham, not because Abraham deserved it, but because of his grace, because of his mercy. When Abraham turns his back on God, walks into sin, does stupid things, what does God do? The same God goes in and is faithful to his promises in the midst of it recognizes that God does that if he doesn't intervene, Sarah is going to be married away. The promises that he's made can't come true. So God doesn't wait for everything to work itself out. God goes in and takes initiative. God is the one who intervenes. See, even when Abram failed, God was faithful. Even in Abram's failure, God was still faithful to him and the promises that he had made him. See, even when we fail in our lives, God is still faithful to us. 
God's faithfulness to you, if you are a child of God, does not depend upon your performance, but it depends upon his character. One of the most amazing passages in scriptures in 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. That God is a faithful God. And in the midst of Abraham's sin and failure, we see a God who is faithful to his promises. And in the midst of our lives, in our obedience, in our following after Jesus, and in the midst of our sin and our failure, we serve a God who is faithful to us. Not that we deserve it, but because that's who he is. God, we thank you for your faithfulness to us through each and every season of our lives. God, and I pray this morning as we've looked at your word and we've thought about the reality of sin, that sin not only impacts us, but it has such an impact on the people around us. God, in the quietness of this place, as you convict our hearts, would we be quick to repent, to confess? God, we thank you that your word promises us that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, we want to be pure. We want to be clean before you. So would we confess our sins right now in this moment? God, we thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. God, we recognize and we can all think of times in our lives where we have not obeyed but you are still a faithful God. And we thank you that in every season of our lives, in the good and in the bad, that we can trust in your faithful provision for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Continue the conversation with us on social media. Never miss a message and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes.